All right, so uh, we are starting the sermon series uh, this morning. The series title is uh, The Journey, uh, The Christmas Journey. Um, this kind of a play on words. We're going to be, for this sermon series, we're going to be looking at uh, a journey that God called Abraham to take with his son Isaac, found in Genesis chapter 22. But what we're going to see in this journey that God called Abraham to take with his son Isaac is really a, a, a foreshadowing or a prophecy of a journey that God's own son would take when he stepped into our world by being born in a manger. And so in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to make it through the first three verses today. I'm going to read these three verses and then we will get started. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I'm going to stop there. This morning what we're going to be talking about is a journey of obedience. And so just to get started, when we think about obedience, we we live in a culture today where the idea of obedience has lost its sense of luster and virtue. We rarely talk about obedience in the culture we live in as though it's a good thing. Now there's some reasons for that. See, obedience is closely connected to authority, and to understand obedience means to understand authority. Now here's the problem with the culture we live in. So I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but authority is not a virtuous thing in the culture we live in. Now this started Hundreds of years ago, you can begin to see a slow shift in the the mindset of the world, especially the Western world, um, with what philosophers called the rise of existentialism. Huge word. Here's what it means. It means to find purpose and meaning and truth from within yourself rather than outside of yourself. It was a slow shift in mindset. You see it in the 1800s and then even in the 1900s where this idea that an absolute truth would exist outside of me or an absolute authority would exist outside of me began to shift towards, you know what I think? I think authority rests inside of here. I'll decide what's right for me. I'll decide what is absolutely true or whether or not anything is absolutely true or not. I'll go with my gut. I'll allow what I feel to essentially be God. And now the culture around us is immersed in that mindset. Whatever I feel in here determines what is true, what is right, what is good. Now the problem is that that took about 200 years to come to the place where we are today and over time it has trickled its way into our churches, into our theology and even the Christian mindset to where we've bought into this lie that I only hear from God if I feel it in here. Now can God speak in a way that I feel it in here? Absolutely. 
But what I feel in here does not determine whether or not God speaks. It doesn't determine what is absolutely true. You see, there's this shift in authority in the American mindset. And with that shift in authority comes a slow delusion of the idea of obedience. So now, obedience as a virtue means I obey myself or I obey my thirst. I obey what I feel. If it feels good, do it. And you can see now how our culture today has been immersed, and even as Christians, the idea of authority and obedience for many of us is rooted inside of here. I'll obey God when he commands me to do things I want to do, or I like to do, or that feel right. Right? And so what we're going to see in Abraham's example is a beautiful portrait of both authority and obedience from God's perspective. Now we see it in verse 1 before any command is even given. After these things, God tested Abraham. So we learned this two weeks ago in the book of James. When we read about God testing, right, it's this idea of refining, making something stronger, removing its impurities. James tells us that God tests us by the trials we go through. Our sufferings, our hardships, they refine our faith, they make our faith stronger, they solidify, they, the, the, the trials burn away the impurities and the false beliefs and leave me with a more solid faith in who God is. And so God is doing that now in Abraham's life, he's testing him in this way. What's interesting is how God comes to Abraham and he just says one word, what is it? Abraham, he calls his name. And we see in Abraham's response really just a, the beginning of a beautiful portrait um, of this idea of authority and obedience because he just gives one word Abraham but then look at Abraham's response when Abraham said here I am in basic English this looks kind of like a geographical statement I'm over here right it kind of sounds like what Abraham's saying but that's actually not a good translation of what is spoken here Abraham really, he just uses one word. It's the, the, the Hebrew word henna, which means really kind of two things. It means behold or look at this, and it means I. And so essentially what Abraham's saying, he's saying, look, God, I'm right here. And it, and it gives us this portrait of a heart that's postured in obedience, ready to hear from God before God ever speaks. And so we begin to see that authority and obedience is not rooted in the command itself, but he who gives it, right, and the heart of he who hears it. That before God ever gives a command, Abraham's recognizing God as ultimate authority, and I'm ready to obey you, God, regardless of what you're going to call me to do or where you're going to call me to go. Look, here I am. I'm ready to obey and that's so important for us to get church obedience is not rooted in whether or not we like what God says rather whether or not we agree with what God's calling us to do but rather our obedience is rooted in our trust and belief in who he is he's either our authority or he's not and he's clearly the authority in Abraham's life now verse 2 God's going to ask something pretty big of Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, 
We don't have the full details yet of what God's gonna ask Abraham to do in terms of where he's going. But we do have an idea of what he's asking Abraham to do. He's asking him to offer up his son, his only son whom he loves, as a burnt offering. I try to get my head wrapped around this as a dad. This is a big ask. I immediately begin to think about my relationship with my boys. I've got two boys, seven and 11. I love them dearly. Some days I love them more than others, just confessing that. We're in a real sweet season right now, or at least we have been over the last three or four days, which means we're having great conversations. They're asking me questions. My oldest son and I were talking about girls and like he still wants to talk to me about that kind of stuff and just enjoying that. We had a conversation about when I get old, he's gonna have to take care of me one day and just really enjoying those conversations. My youngest son, we're talking about baptism and when it's gonna be the right time to make that decision. So I'm really enjoying my role as a dad. Love, 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 love my boys, love my boys. I can't fathom being asked by God to take one of my boys and offer him as a sacrifice. You can't imagine that either. Why? Because we love our children so much. So what we see in Abraham's story is not that he doesn't love his son. The Bible says that, right? His son, whom he loves. So what we're seeing here is not that Abraham doesn't love his son, but that Abraham is being tested to see if he loves God more. Because see, here's the truth and the reality. God loves Isaac more than Abraham does. God loves my boys more than I love them. And listen to this, parents. And when I love God more than I love my boys, I love them better. The same, same is true for my wife. When I love God more, I love her better. The same is true of you, the church. When I love God more than I love you, I love you better. And so there's a biblical foundation here, a precedence that God and God alone deserves to be the first love of our hearts. And God's testing that in Abraham. He's not asking Abraham, do you love your son? We know he loves him. He's asking the question, but do you love me more? And he's testing Abraham. So I can't fathom what he asked Abraham to do. Now, just to paint a more vivid picture here, just to make sure we're grasping the fullness of this, he's not only asking Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, he's asking him or commanding him to take him up on the mountain and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, what does that mean? Well, the burnt offering was more than just a sacrifice. It meant that in the end, everything got burned up so that nothing was left. Think about that. He's asking Abraham, right, to do more than just offer him as a sacrifice. He's saying, giving all of him to me. Trust me with all of him. There will be no body to take back for burial. All of him, a burnt offering. This is a big ask, isn't it? This is huge. And what we're seeing in Abraham's example is this. When God calls us to do something, it's less about the where or the what, and it's really about who's asking. Think about that. It's less about the where, the where you're going, and it's more about who is calling you. 
Because he, look at what God says. Abraham, take your son and go to the mountain of which I will tell you. He didn't even lay out for Abraham ahead of time exactly which mountain he was going to, did he? This, this is very similar to what God did just 10 chapters earlier in chapter 12 when he first came to Abraham and said, oh, Abraham, here's the deal. Pack up all your stuff, get your wife Sarah, and go where? Where are we going, God? What did God say? Go to the land that I'm gonna show you. <laughs> what am I gonna tell Sarah? That's not gonna work for her. Go to the land that I'm gonna show you. What is God doing in that? He's saying, listen, you're either gonna trust me because it's me or you're not. If you need to know where we're going before you trust me, you don't trust me, right? If you need to know how this is gonna work before we do it, then you don't ultimately trust me. Now, in Abraham's response, we're gonna see what I believe to be just a very simple but a very pure portrait of what obedience looks like. In verse three, here's what we read. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Now, this is just a subtle detail, but when did Abraham get out of bed? Early in the morning. That's a biblical portrait that means to us or that says to us there was no hesitation, right? He's not sleeping in, laying there in bed thinking, how am I gonna do this? reluctantly dragging himself out of bed. He's rising early in the morning. What I believe we're supposed to see in that is obedience without hesitation. Now we all know what obedience with hesitation looks like. Some of us are hesitating right now to obey something God has said to us either last week or this morning or last year. We see examples of biblical hesitation in stories like Jonah. I mean, in the end, God does what he's gonna do through Jonah. Jonah didn't have a choice, but did Jonah first obey? <laughs> no, he hesitated, right? He tried to do things his own way. He tried to actually run away from obeying God. And God says, no, we're gonna do this with or without you, with or without the hesitation. So we, and we know what that feels like in our own lives too, right? You sense God's problem. He's convicting you of something. I really need to go ask for forgiveness. And then you do what? Hesitate. Well, wait a second. Let me think about this. I mean, Really, do I need to? What about him? What about, I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't they come to me first? And we hesitate, we think through it. We see in Abraham's example is obedience. True obedience has no hesitation. The second part of this, look at the last part of verse three. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Every detail. Abraham fully committed to obey God. He's bringing his son. He's bringing the knife for the sacrifice. He's even bringing the firewood. His heart was postured and ready to completely obey God, not partially. Now we know what partial obedience looks like, right? Where you kind of obey God. There's a, good, there's a biblical example of this found in 1 Samuel 15 where um, Saul ultimately um, finds his end as king of Israel. And uh, there's a battle that he's called to go fight against the Amalekites. And God gives him strict instructions. You're to take these people on. You're to defeat them. And you're to, you're to destroy everything. Do not bring anything home. Saul goes, leads his men into victory. And then what does he do? Brings a bunch of junk home. God calls him out on this. Why? Is this was this complete obedience? No, it was what? 
partial obedience. And God sends Samuel to talk to Saul and to call him out on this. Saul makes excuses. He says, oh, it's because my soldiers, they wanted to bring this stuff home to offer as a sacrifice to worship you, God. And look at what God speaks to Saul through the prophet Samuel, verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15. Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? You catch the point, right? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he, is, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. True obedience is without hesitation and it is complete, right? So God calls me to share the gospel with somebody. Partial obedience is me sending them a text message saying, hey, can we grab some coffee at Starbucks this week or can we go to lunch or hey, do you have time to talk? And then us going to Starbucks or going to eat lunch or going to talk somewhere and we stay surface level and we really never get around to the heart of the matter. That's partial obedience. That's not what God, God didn't call me to go have coffee with somebody, right? God called me to share the gospel. Partial obedience is the same as disobedience. Now we come back to the story it's hard to fathom not only what God asked Abraham to do, but what he's going to do. And we're going to see this over the next three weeks. It's hard to imagine God asking me to give up one of my boys, and yet God looks at me and says, what? That's the very thing that I've done. What I'm asking Abraham to do is a foreshadow of what I'm going to do for you. And so in Abraham's example, it helps us feel the weight and the magnitude of God's love for us when we read Bible verses like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. An act of obedience. And we begin to feel the weight of God's Love through the story of Abraham and Isaac. Understand that, yes, Jesus came on his own initiative, but he came in obedience. And he isn't this ambiguous deity out there. He's a son sent by a father to die for us without hesitation, completely. And so we begin to see the big picture of the gospel. See, I think for many of us, obedience to God is still struggling to get out of bed on Sunday mornings. Still a struggle to be kind to someone. And when we look at the, the big ask of Abraham, right? Our small little moments of obedience begin to pale in comparison. You know, for a lot of us, obedience is 
all right, I'll get out of bed on Sunday and I'll go to church. But the early service, because the cowboys are on, right? And, and we consider that an act of obedience. Now, I'm glad you're here. I really am. But let's put things in perspective here, right? God's not just calling you to obey in the things that make sense, the things that are easy, the things that you like. God is also calling you to obey even when it doesn't make sense to you. See, that's where the real test comes, isn't it? It's no big deal to trust God on where I'm gonna go to lunch today, but it's a whole thing altogether to trust God with the life of one of my loved ones. It's different, right? I don't know what God's calling you to today. Maybe you're wondering, okay, how does this apply to me? What is God asking me to do? I would start by thinking through the things that God normally asks his people to do. If you don't know what God's calling you to do today, um, he calls his people uh, to invest in relationships around them. He calls God's people to share the gospel with the people in their lives. He calls God's people to be ready to forgive, to pursue reconciliation if there's a relationship that's not intact. He calls God's people to live missionally. He calls God's people to serve others. He calls God's people to live selflessly. And so surely in just that short list of things, there are some things that God is calling you to. You see, it's, it's, it's not for the Christ follower to sit around and, and think, you know what, if God ever calls me to do something, oh, I'll be ready to obey, right? God's calling you right now to something. Did you know that? He's calling you right now to something. To pursue holiness, to pursue fruit of the Spirit, to forgive, to reconcile, to love, to share, to serve. God is calling you to something, right? And the question isn't, well, as soon as God tells me how it's going to go down, I'm ready to obey. No, God is saying to you simply, Abraham, it's a heart check. Where are you at? Is your heart postured and ready to obey? Obedience rooted in a trust in the one who's giving the command. Because the bottom line, isn't this the bottom line? I either trust God or I don't. Partial obedience means I don't trust God. Hesitant obedience would indicate I don't trust God. That's the bottom line for me. I believe that's the bottom line for you. Do you trust God? Because out of our trust for him will flow what? Obedience. I just wonder how many of us are struggling with obedience today. To truly believe that God loves you more than you love yourself. He loves the people in your life more than you love them. To trust that his intentions are better than yours. To trust that his ways are better than yours. I wonder how many of us are hesitating. We want to wait and see what God wants before we say yes. I don't know where you are today. I want to land with two different things. One... If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, God is calling you today. He's calling you into obedience. I don't know what it is for you, and you may not know. And so what we do is we need to posture our hearts before God like Abraham and just say, here I am. Now, be ready <laughs> for God to speak. Here I am, God. I'm ready to obey. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you're not a Christian. You've never taken that step of trusting in God for the first time. Right, And so the call of the gospel is this. It's not just 
fire insurance for having something planned for after this life to make sure you get to go to heaven. It's so much bigger than that. The hope of the gospel is a hope in this life and the life to come. It's a miraculous work in this life and the life to come. And so really the call of the gospel is to truly trust Jesus with everything, everything, your life, your health, your your family, your kids, to say, God, I trust you with everything. I trust that what Jesus did on the cross is enough for me. And that's how you're saved. That's how you become a Christian. If that's you today and you're ready to take that step of faith, I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage you to grab one of our prayer partners this morning and let them talk with you and pray with you about taking that step of faith. If there's something else on your heart, maybe you're just struggling, you know you're just struggling to obey and, and you want somebody to pray with you about that, would you grab one of our prayer partners and just kind of share with them what's going on and let them pray over you and, and what you're going through? In just a minute, we're gonna stand to sing. Our prayer partners are gonna come forward and worship team's gonna come up and we're gonna respond. But when we use the word respond, what we mean is we're responding in obedience to what God has called us to do. Let's pray together and then let's respond. Father, we thank you for this challenging and yet helpful reminder and portrait from Abraham's story of what true obedience looks like. And we know that Abraham wasn't a perfectly obedient man, but we see in Genesis 22 a beautiful portrait of what obedience looks like. And we thank you for that. We thank you that Abraham and Isaac's story is actually telling a bigger story of a better obedience, the obedience of Jesus for us. God, I pray now that as each of us begins to take inventory on our own personal lives, that God, you would speak to us. And God, as you speak, I pray, God, that you would give us hearts postured and ready to obey. God, even to obey and trust you beyond what makes sense or what feels good, but to simply trust and obey because you are trustworthy. We ask for your Holy Spirit now to guide us as we respond. We pray all these things in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus.